0: Hey, everybody. This episode of What Exactly Am I Watching Here covers the Twin Peaks movie Fire Walk with Me. Fire Walk with Me includes graphic depictions of incest, sexual assault, and murder. In our conversation, we discuss those themes. Just want to give you a heads up before you start listening. And with that, I'll hand things off to Mike.
1: Through the darkness of future past, the magician longs to see. One chance out between two worlds, fire, walk with me.
0: to a new episode of What Exactly Am I Watching Here? A proud member of the Overthink Podcast Network. I'm your host for now, Jason Helms, and I'm no longer a lonely soul as I'm joined by my good bud, Dominic Lang. Say hi, Dom.
2: Hi, Jason. Good to be here.
0: Ah, Good to have you. Uh, Before we begin, a quick introduction to the show, What Exactly Am I Watching Here? is a podcast that features an expert, myself, and a novice. Myself. Watching one of the great shows of television history. You see, through the darkness of future's past, the magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds. Hey, Dom, pod with me. <laughs> so for now, our, uh, our show is the cult favorite Twin Peaks, and we finally finished the original run, and we are watching the movie, prequel sequel, Fire Walk With Me. Uh, the 1991 uh, movie continuation that takes place completely before... The uh, original season of Twin Peaks, and that'll set us up to very shortly go into Twin Peaks: The Return, uh, when the show returned 25 years later. Uh, so get set, sit down, pour yourself a cup of coffee, nice cup of Good Morning America, mm. and uh, ask yourself: Is it future, or is it past? I am the arm, and I sound like this. <laughs>
2: Except, <laughs> except backwards. Backwards. Except backwards. So, even so the, ben, footsteps, even the footsteps. Even the footsteps were backwards. Oh, if you noticed.
0: Then just back mask that real quick. No, no, no. I never need to see anyone eating corn backwards. Yep. Uh, for the left. For the rest of my life.
2: Yeah. Because by uh, the way, it's called
0: spitting corn.
2: Ugh. ugh yuck. <laughs> um. So we left Twin Peaks for me. Like two full seasons of Twin Peaks. The show ends with our favorite, my favorite special agent, Dale Cooper, uh, back from the black lodge, but possessed by Bob. Yes. If I could, that that's, that's yeah. possessed by Bob. Uh, he slams his head into the bathroom mirror and is maniacally laughing, asking how's Amy, how's Amy. And so just like ends super creepy. And like, on a big, big cliffhanger. And the show's cancelled. Yep. So, that's where, that's where we end, and then this movie, Firewalk with me.
1: Yep.
0: Uh, and there is, so this movie came out in 92. Uh, yep. Uh, after the cancellation of Twin Peaks. Uh, there's a possibly apocryphal story of it getting uh, booed at Cannes. Uh, can, can can Canes. Canines. Uh, da- Dom, you're you're the specialist. You're the cinema specialist. I'll handle the I'll handle the Greek. Okay. Uh, So so is it it can? Am I doing it it right? Technically, it's can. Yeah. Can. All right. All right. And uh, that that may or may not have happened. Uh, Suffice to say, though, it was not real well received. Uh, But in the years since, it's become its own kind of cult favorite. Uh, It's it's real weird. Yeah. And then in 2014, David Lynch released uh, a. DVD box set called Twin Peaks The Entire Mystery that included Fire Walk With Me, the mm-hmm. 2 hour and 15 minute movie and a new cut called The Missing Pieces which is another 2 hour and 15 minute movie that includes scenes from the original Fire Walk With Me, intercut with about 90 minutes of new scenes. So Dom, which of those two did we watch?
2: We watched neither.
0: Neither. <laughs> neither? neither? Damn neither. it! Both. Damn Both. it! Both? Both? Uh, we we <laughs> dug up um, a fan cut. Uh, there is a, a super Twin Peaks fan who put together this fan cut of the two movies together, mm-hmm. which totals up to three and a half hours uh, when you cut out all the overlap. Um, and <laughs> it's having. So I have watched the original cut and I've watched the fan cut. Wow. Uh, Dom, you've only watched the fan cut.
2: I only watched the fan cut, yep.
0: We'll, we'll save some of the evaluation for later, but first off, I gotta say, I, I think I like the fan cut better. Yeah. And We might talk about some of the reasons as we talk about the things that were not in the original. Mm -hmm. But yeah, with that, let's uh, let's dive into it. Uh, We should probably start with you. uh, Oh, and how how do people find the fan cut? Um, Maybe maybe perform a seance, uh, ask your local drug dealer. Uh, Yeah, you know, I Mm -hmm. I I certainly have no recommendations. We uh, we watched it psychically, uh, Mm -hmm. just with the power
1: of prayer. So
2: yeah, uh, together. Yeah, I we we started started the seance and then I blacked out. And then next thing I knew I'd seen it. Um, (laughs) So my initial reaction to just the, like all the backstory aside uh, it's a, it feels a far darker film tonally than uh, in the series itself. Uh, It is in short, a dark, psychosexual tragedy. Yep. Um, And it is the dark side, the underbelly of human nature on full display. Um, During the series, you have discussion of the black lodge, the white lodge. You have characters like major Briggs. You have characters like Sheriff Truman, agent Cooper who represent uh, the goodness that is in this universe. And that, to me seems totally absent in this story. And that makes it a far, uh, not like, not, um, doesn't make it a poor story. It just makes it a very difficult story to watch and to, to, to go through. Um, before we go too far into the weeds, I want to give a special shout out, uh, to Cheryl Lee, uh, the actress, uh, playing Laura Palmer, who, absolutely swings for the fences in this movie. Uh, And this could not have been an easy shoot for her. Yeah. Um, As like, this is, this is an intense performance from start to finish. Um, But yeah, the, the tone is incredibly dark. And I think in part, because a lot of Laura's story, well, by its nature, Laura's story is all flashback or reference in the original series and, uh, elements of like Laura's sexual promiscuity elements of like the evil in Twin Peaks. They're discussed, but here they are actually presented in full with all, all force behind it. And it's really jarring and really difficult to watch. Um, there are several scenes, which, um, and we can get into more, but just on a ten thousand foot level, it's a dark movie
0: it's a um, real dark movie and and in some ways, you can get that straight from the idea of what is this movie. It's the last week of Laura palmer's life yeah, it's going to end. I mean if you've watched Twin Peaks, spoiler alerts abound going forward, but mm-hmm. if you've watched Twin Peaks, you know that the last week of Laura's life will end with her being murdered by her father yeah so you already know this is going to be pretty heavy stuff. And the more I reflect on this, the more I was struck by, um, you know, that Twin Peaks is that uh, show about the dead girl that doesn't care about the dead girl, right? That kind of trope um, that, that we could see in a, a lot of shows taken off on. Yeah, And uh, in some sense, uh, Desperate Housewives made, you know, eight seasons out of that uh, with some of the people from Twin Peaks on it. Very true. And It actually, uh, more than any of those other shows, really does care about the dead girl. It does care about Laura Palmer. And you see that in the original show to some extent. But I think that that explains why Lynch went back to do a prequel, is when he said he didn't feel like Laura's story was done, he didn't feel like going forward with the show was going to answer that story. And if Laura is, you know, the twist ending of a mystery, uh, she was killed by her father, gasp, music, and then we all move on with our lives, that's... There's a sense in which it's not respecting the character or the story, um, but also using violence against women as a plot point. And so, this is going to you know, the the violence against women in this movie is not a plot point, it is what the movie is about. Yeah, it is really, really about, um, it, it could be seen as being about toxic masculinity, yeah, being about the way uh, American culture. Weaponizes young women's sexuality uh, against them uh to hurt them um, yeah. and so it's it's a complex uh an interesting movie, real heavy uh and this podcast uh will make jokes and stuff along the way, but it's it's going to be pretty heavy so uh <laughs> sit down
2: i mean the that's what stood out to me like i mean bringing up the the topic of toxic masculinity, you have Bobby who is their main connection, Laura and Bobby's connection is cocaine, so drugs, so Bobby controls Laura via drugs. you have Dr. Jacoby, an older man who calls begging for a tape from Laura uh you have Leland Palmer, her father, uh who you know possessed by Bob or otherwise is a domineering. Overlording figure in her life, and Leland, in his own right, is an adulterer, is guilty of potentially incest and a long arc of uh destructive behavior. Yep, and this is this consequence, this sin is something that he is passing on, uh, to Laura. Uh you have Jacques Renault who uh again taking advantage of Laura of um of Teresa Banks of uh I'm trying to remember uh, Renette Pulaski. Like this is this is a culture yeah. that is taking advantage uh of Laura and and young girls like her.
0: Yep. And it's it's not sensationalized in the sense of we are reveling in oh how how bad this is uh or meant to just even do cheap emotions um you know this is incest is a a real issue this is something that really exists and happens a lot more than than people think uh i was going to say something about you know there's someone um you know i know someone uh that's experienced this that's uh, Been on the side of it, I, I thought, you know, I, I don't want to share. I don't want people to associate. Then I went, wait a second. I actually know multiple people mm. who I, I know this about were uh, molested by their fathers. In fact, I think everyone listening, whether they know it or not, probably knows multiple people who could tell a similar story. Uh, and because of that, this really heavy movie is not going to be for everyone. And I think we could we could have a long conversation about the degree to which it treats the subject with respect I think it's, it's Lynch's kind of respect. Uh, some people would say, you know, the the weird stuff with the Black Lodge where maybe we see it, maybe we don't, but some weird, you know, more symbolic, absurdist cinema stuff that gets in there, uh, some people might see as a kind of disrespect. Uh, my own interpretation of Lynch is that is his utmost respect for his subject is to, to try to figure out a way to visualize psychologically what is happening, uh, to take the drama and turn it into something else. Yeah. You can say turn the drama into art, but that's a little bit more celebratory than I think what Lynch wants to do with it.
2: Yeah. And even I think Lynch is someone who can present the argument of art as something mournful. Yeah. Um and so to uh to dramatize it isn't necessarily to celebrate it. It is yeah. perhaps more commonplace like you said that when something is dramatized, it's done so in the act of or for the purpose of celebrating it. Um, but there is here something far more mournful and horrific. Uh, the scene in the power and the glory, uh, the the nightclub. I mean, it it really f- it felt like a hellscape uh, at certain points, and especially when uh, when Donna is drugged and laura looks over and it looks like a renaissance painting Mm. of hell yeah like that that particular scene and i could not wait for that scene to be over again not because i i hated the movie um but just because like i wanted out of that place
0: and that scene really hit something for me in terms of the sexualization of Laura Palmer. Uh, it's one of multiple topless scenes that she's in. Uh, the scene with James uh, where she's inexplicably in a towel in the middle of her high school, yeah. um, which feels very dreamlike already uh, and is clearly a very erotic depiction of her nudity. Yeah. That scene starts out in that way, but it's an uncomfortable eroticism. She's being sexualized. It doesn't you're not sure of her agency, no matter how much she's trying to reassert that agency through this. Yeah, but by the time it ends, and she is running around, desperate and screaming, there's nothing. There's really nothing sexual about um, yeah. the way that she's shot, uh, and I think it's it's handled well in that. It really feels hectic. It feels terrifying.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and yeah, I you, know, you you contrast that scene with James with stuff like. The, the power and the glory or Laura's actual murder, which like, goodness gracious. I mean, I, I like on one hand, I hate to bring up the technical skill of that scene, but it is yeah. one of the most. And I think again, speaking to Lynch's care and respect for the, for the character of Laura, it's one of the most well shot. Uh, the flashes between Leland and Bob uh, with Laura's point of view, um, it is bringing her story full circle and right to the beginning of the series. Um, at that point, you are fully immersed in the tragedy, fully immersed in the uh, the sorrow and horror of this. But yeah, contrasted with with James, that scene is like pure eleven year old boy wedding fantasy. Yes, like. And I don't know what it was, but, like, this prequel just cemented my dislike for James Hurley. I yeah. just, like, I am so done with that guy. Yep.
0: And it's not, it, it doesn't feel like, the, the show felt like it kept wanting us to like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't feel like the movie did, uh, which was nice.
2: Yeah. Was, he's, a, he's a kid. He's a dumb kid. Yep.
0: Um, so the, the other thing about Laura's murder and the flashing back and forth between Bob and Leland that parallels the incest scene that we're shown earlier, God, ooh, which might uh, be the most troubling scene in the movie. Yes. Um, oh, those scenes are coupled and it's troubling for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, it depicts incest, uh, but two, it, it forces us to not let Leland off the hook mm-hmm. uh, because with the way the show ends, he gets a kind of redemption at the end that I think we talked about being a little bit uncomfortable with. Yeah. Um, and the the moment that lets him off the hook is it's a realization scene, uh, not that she realizes it's her father who is Bob, but that he realizes that she didn't know that mm. that she had never put that together. He says, "I thought you always knew." Yeah, that's the terrifying and really heart wrenching moment for me um, because I can no longer pretend any kind of in- innocence for Leland. I can no longer pretend, you know, he was possessed by evil. Uh, if he was possessed by evil, he was not possessed by evil for you know years and years and years. He was possessed by evil for moments. I mean, that possession is more of a metaphor for trying to get your head around how could someone do this, mm-hmm. which is really the the question that that Lynch is trying to figure out: is what's the nature of evil? What what is that thing? How can someone be evil?
2: Yeah, and even the uh, Leland's. Uh, carrying on with Teresa Banks, like this is, yeah, if it was just a sim, a simple possession, if it was possession in isolated, like season of time, then yeah, perhaps there's more of a discussion to be had about the redemption of Leland Palmer. Right. But at this point it feels very hard to let Leland off the hook. Or to find any sort of like, well, you know, it was it was Bob. Like, no, this was yeah, this was his choice for a long time. At the very least, his choice to be silent about it. Yeah, uh, to not get help,
0: to not stop this. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to find a way in which he wasn't responsible in each individual moment, who's at the very least responsible for the silence. Uh, my own inclination is just to find him responsible for all of it, but uh, again, fictional characters, so I don't know what to do.
2: Yeah, you yeah, know, and there was there's a there's some fleeting references to uh one of my gripes during season two was the Garmin Bosia scene of season yeah. two. Uh And out of nowhere, we, we get some, some Garmin Bosia, uh, some, which I don't know if it's directly defined in the show or how that, how the definition comes about, but Garmin Bosia is pain and sorrow. Yeah. And, that seems to be the focus of this story, and again, not that uh, not that goodness doesn't exist in this universe. Yeah, goodness does, but not in this story, not here.
0: Yeah, and goodness continues to fail. Uh, we haven't mm. talked at all about uh, the Teresa Banks storyline, the first hour of the movie. Yeah, um, with uh, Chris Chris Isaac playing his yeah. wicked game. Uh, Chris and his wicked game, and oh. uh, and, 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 and Kiefer, Jack Bauer, after <laughs> saving the day, Jack uh, Bauer, of the early. Years, the Year. wolf from Dark City for some reason. <laughs> yes! Wow! Uh, yeah, it's oh, it's it's yeah, it's it's real, Pete Kiefer. It's really good, Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, at one point, you texted me and said, "Is he? He's the FBI's Rain right?" Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. without and, question. And I said definitely. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's you get a lot of quirk with that first arc and you get a lot of um kind of keys to the movie i mean we're talking about you said there's no no good in it but the fbi is kind of consistently the symbol for good uh Mm. in this universe um it's this 1950s fbi in some way the perfect clean cut uh everything's great uh, fbi um but what in the world is happening in that opening scene What is the case that Chet Desmond is following that led
2: to... Let's get the prequel to the prequel, huh? Just for that one.
0: Yeah, I need the prequel to the prequel. Because you've got a bus driver being arrested. There's a bus full of kids. The bus is in the middle of a field. Yeah, And there's two women who look like they might be sex workers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, they're being arrested or interviewed uh, about this. I mean, it's... I cannot imagine what in the world the case is that led to this.
2: Um, it's it's strange. Yeah. It is is really strange. What really appealed to me, and this this can lead us into something else. When, uh, so when long lost FBI agent Philip Jeffries, aka the Thin White Duke, David Bowie, shows up, and Gordon Cole is on the intercom. Two of the lines that he shouts into the intercom uh, are telling for me. When one, he says seemingly kind of like, again, just it's asymmetrical to what's going on. he says, tell me some good news. And then he asks, am I all alone here? Mm. And the fact that when he asks, when he's t- saying like, tell me some good news, a nothing, he gets no news. The intercom's dead. And B, when he says, am I all alone here? Again, he receives no answer. And the fact that, if the FBI is our kind of uh, bastion of goodness in the Twin Peaks universe, the fact that what small element they have to play in this story, they are isolated. They are, uh, their communication is all over the place. They have uh, half remembered dreams, people teleporting that the goodness is in chaos. Yeah. And the evil seems very determined and driven and all-consuming.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You feel that. Yeah. So it's,
0: it's nice to have the good, uh, but the good is... We sometimes get good with some evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sometimes get evil with no good. This movie never gives us just pure good by itself.
2: Yeah. So that, uh, that balance of, of good and evil, uh, a lot of the... I'm not sure if this scene was in the original cut, uh, but the log lady has a fleeting interaction with Laura. And the line she gives her, uh, she says, when this kind of fire starts, it is very hard to put out. Mm -hmm. The tender boughs of innocence burn first and the wind rises. And then all goodness is in jeopardy. And there is, again, like, so much pain and sorrow in this thing. Like, there is bound to be breaking. We are not made for this amount of sorrow. And in this situation, of course, someone is going to break. Leland breaks. Laura, you know, Donna, who is not, she is an absolute pretender. She is jealous of Laura, and the one time she tries to act like Laura, she ends up in hell, basically. And Laura breaks as well and is consumed by this.
0: And we got to cut Donna and and definitely Laura some slack uh, in that um, they're high schoolers. Yeah. These are children we're watching, regardless of whether they're being portrayed by children. Um, And I think that explains a lot of their, um, their actions in some ways. You know, when you're in high school, you just, yes, she does it just to be cool. She wants to try something new. She wants to figure out what that's like. Um, I've never, I've never been the bad girl. Am I being the bad girl now? Um, You know, maybe, maybe try cheating on a test first. Maybe try sneaking a cigarette first because you, you've escalated. You're, you're way beyond uh, what you were prepared for. Uh, But that's, as a kid, that's what happens. You're not necessarily able to determine the, the line when you say, oh, I want to try just a little bit, a little bit of being bad. Um, figuring out where that needs to stop is, is not easy. Um, thinking mainly of Donna there. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's lighten it up and talk a little bit about the quirk. Uh, yeah. we, we skipped it. Uh, we did. <laughs> we mentioned that there is quirk. Um, but one of my favorite scenes, uh, the nature of the two-by-four. Yeah, which what is a two by? Four? I didn't, I
2: didn't know that a two by four was not two by four. It, it is
0: not. I, I, yeah. Megan watched this with me, um, and I'm sitting there like saying the lines before they say them, even though I've never seen the scene. Because I'm like, no, no, no. A two by four is not two by four inches. Like, if if you if you've worked any kind of construction, like you not only know that, but you know people that have a problem with that. Mm. That like it it offends them on some kind of like personal level. Yeah, um, there's there's an honesty to that scene, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh so the the key characters um are of course Josie Packard uh I assume at this point uh, Andrew Packard is dead well not dead but we is, he is supposedly dead. Yes. Uh, Pete Martel um and Del Mibler uh yeah. the old man. And and can you remind us who Dell is cuz he only appears I believe once in the
1: show.
2: Yeah, he appears uh if if not in the last episode. I think he, That's the actually only place he, I remember. Yeah, only in the last episode. Uh, he is the manager of the bank. Yeah, uh, yep. which explodes in the season two finale. Hey, who else is there with him? Uh, Miss Audrey Horn. Yep. Anybody else? Uh oh, Andrew Packard. Andrew Packard. Uh, and Pete.
1: There,
0: Pete. Oh my goodness, Martell. Yes. Now, now. So put yourself back in 1992. The cliffhanger. Oh. One of the cliffhangers is. Does Pete survive? We don't necessarily care about Dell, but does Pete survive? Does Audrey survive, right? Yeah. Um, Andrew Packard, again, we don't care about. But we've got kind of a substitute for him in that scene with Josie. Yeah. Um, Josie Packard. And so we've got these three people linked to that, that final bombing. Yeah. And they're, they're talking about the nature of a two-by-four. And I'm happy to give this away for you because shortly after, um, after Twin Peaks... Was uh, the, the Missing Pieces was released. Uh, the Secret History of Twin Peaks was released, and I've read that, and that covers who died in the blast. Oh! So would you like to know now who dies in the blast?
1: I... I would. Okay. If you're going to read The Secret
0: of History of Twin Peaks and look for it, that's fine too, but uh, I believe, if I recall correctly, from The Secret History of the Twin Peaks, Andrew, Del, and Pete are all killed in the blast. <sighs> um... And so that adds some pathos to this scene uh, about the nature of two by fours, especially because Pete says, you know, he's trying to explain to poor Dell. Poor Dell is so angry and can't understand it, and he wants he he wants the bigger board. And Pete's trying to say, you don't you can't even use the bigger board; it won't work for anything. Yeah, uh, I could get you the bigger board. It, there's going to be shrinkage. It is even that won't work? But but even if you could get that board, it wouldn't it wouldn't fit in with anything else because everybody sells two by fours, mm. um, which are not two by four. You're right. And then uh, finally, Pete hits on it and says, "At the bank,
1: mm.
0: is money always the same? Worth the exact same amount?" Yeah. Dell just has this long stare. Says, oh, I get it. It's <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. He <laughs> understands. And it's and it's a conversation about absolute truth versus relative truth, and and Dell is committed to this idea of absolute truth and especially as a capitalist, as this kind of conservative-minded guy. Yeah. You know, I, I paid you for a certain thing. You need to give me that thing. Uh, the world is falling apart because there are absolute truths. Okay. Is a dollar always worth a dollar? Is it always worth the same amount? Oh, okay. <sighs> I get it now. You're right. Meaning changes over time. Cool. Um, there, there's some interesting things like that. Uh, I, I think their scene is, is much more meaningful than we'd give it. Uh, the other is uh, Lil. Uh, if we're going to talk about quirk.
2: Yeah, yeah. And what feels like a a bigger part of the, the Twin Peaks mythos, yeah. uh, Lil and the Blue Rose. I, Lil was... So Lil appears in the first, like, 10 minutes of the movie. yeah, Yeah, real quick. And completely threw me off the trail for what I thought the movie was going to be. I thought this was just going to be a super weird, super quirk... Movie and was again not at all that, uh, but Lil, who doesn't say anything, just but by her walk, by her blinking, by her blue rose, her blue rose,
0: blue rose. Hey, Dom, I can't, I can't tell you about the blue rose. Can't, I
1: can't, mm,
2: can't, damn it, um, and I. I'll be honest, I, tried, I, I put in one search for Blue Rose and Twin Peaks, and all the links just looked like spoilers. hmm And so it's just like, okay, i not going to look, i not going to do it. That thread will not be
0: completely dropped for the return, don't worry.
2: All right, all right. I'm, I'm, I am more or less mystified by Lil at the moment. Uh, I, I think Lil. I'll,
0: I'll give you my interpretation of it. Okay. My interpretation is that it's a scene about interpretation.
1: And we've okay.
0: got, it looks like Absurdist Theater. It looks like something out of Waiting for Godot, right? Yes. Uh, what yeah. Lil is doing. Um, and the great thing is Chet Baker, special agent Chet Baker. Uh, sorry, Chet Desmond. Ch- Chester True Desmond. Special agent
2: and jazz musician and Chet, Chet Baker.
0: jazz musician Chet Baker. <laughs> uh, yeah, he fits in with things, yeah. I think. Yeah, okay. why not? So, so Chet Desmond interprets it flawlessly, understands every last little bit of it. And that, that kills us. It irks us. You know, there's no, you're not allowed to understand this. This is Mm -hmm. meaningless. This is just silliness. How how are you allowed to understand this? And I think it's Lynch poking a little bit of fun of himself. You know, when I, when I give you the black lodge in a bit, all of you are going to want to be Chet Desmond and Mm. all of you are going to feel like Jack Bauer. Uh, whatever, Keeper, Sutherland's character's name is. Sorry, same uh, Stanley, which is you, you understand very, very little. But you'll pick up, you'll pick up one or two things. Yeah. And I, David Lynch, Chet Desmond, Chet Baker will be very proud of you for noticing. Yes, her her dress was taken in with a different color thread. You're you're absolutely right. That is creamed corn. Good job. Good job. Yeah. And ah, you notice the blue rose. Well, uh, you know, I, I heard there's something special about you. And it's, we will find those small things to interpret and to say, oh, I, I think this means something. And Lynch is saying, even that's enough. That's great. Good, you you caught on to something and that's good. Uh, but I'm not going to unlock this for you. It's much more fun for you to try and search it out yourself.
2: Yeah. And again, I'm not I'm not going to try and like go too deep into, but on the first hearing that makes like emotionally a lot of sense because there's often a, uh, an impulse to like anything that's unexplained in a show or anything that's not 100% explained. Um, people want to find they, they want to mine for all that it's worth. And yeah, like every little thing it is, it's absurd. Like it can't possibly mean that, Someone's uncle is in jail. And it can't like her blinking doesn't mean that you're gonna get trouble from the authorities. So yeah, like it is, it does kind of feel like taking the piss out of it a little bit of like, yeah, hey, we're gonna deduct the meaning of the entire show based off of one interaction in the Black Lodge. It's like the Black Lodge is a it is a surreal place. It is a it is a place outside of time. And The forces that exist and interact in that place exist and interact outside of like, oh, so X means this and this means that like, no, like direct correlation has gone out the window at that point. Yeah. It is a full embrace of a dream, of a nightmare, of both. And these things are in the same place and just going back and forth with it.
0: Yeah. And his interpretation is so unsatisfying mm-hmm. because it boils down to, we're going to have trouble with the local law enforcement, which is also something you could have just told me. That's not yeah. a secret. Um, yeah. We'll also notice it within our first five minutes. Uh, you're not necessarily helping me to prepare in any way.
2: I think that's why I hated like the first, not hated, but why, why I found the first like 10 minutes of the movie kind of just like, Oh crap. Yep. <laughs>
0: It's it's a bit of a middle finger to to viewers, I think, and I think it's meant to be. You know, it's you, know, you can try to interpret it, and that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. But but the second you think you have found an answer, you know, it's not you are not going to feel better. Yeah. Um, so so Dom, let me interpret the Black Lodge for you. It's a metaphor for the nature of evil. Okay. There we go. Yeah, that helped. Right? You feel better now? No, not not really. <laughs> I mean. I mean. Do you do you want me to point to the the mask that the kid is wearing and that the kid is a magician? The kid is the magician from the Fire Walk With Me poem, and, and that all no no that doesn't help either. Yeah, uh, no, nothing is going to make me more okay with the, the nature of evil. Uh, it needs to be fairly ineffable.
2: Yeah, yeah. All right, let's continue on. Where do you want to go from here? Uh, I want to talk. About, I want to talk about David Bowie. Yeah, I want to talk about David Bowie because now now we're not going to talk about Judy. No,
0: no, no. We're not okay. Talking... We're not going to talk about Judy.
2: No Judy. Uh, no All Judy. Right. But, but I'll talk about David Bowie with you. Okay. Uh, so, and maybe bringing back a little bit of the, the backstory of Firewalk With Me, theatrical Firewalk With Me, uh, the fan edit. If I have it right, the only time you see uh, Agent Jeffries, David Bowie's character, is in the Philadelphia office. And he's stark raving about Judy. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay.
0: There's no, and there are other scenes in Buenos Aires, but those are only from the missing pieces and okay. brought back into the fan cut, which makes it really complex because there is a moment in Twin Peaks The Return, I believe in like the first or second episode, where it, it basically just does a hard cut to Buenos Aires. And I don't believe you get much more than here's, here's a few shots of Buenos Aires. And, a sense of evil and foreboding, and what you're meant to understand is that in some ways Philip Jeffries is returning, and in some ways this is foreshadowing that there will be a return of David Bowie in some form uh, in this cow. show. But I got none of that because I hadn't seen the missing pieces. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm so glad now watching it as soon as I saw the Buenos Aires scene, I went, "Oh, Buenos Aires! Okay, good,
1: good.
2: Got I got it. Yeah, I got,
0: a, I got a hook to hang it on.
2: Yeah. So in this in this fan edit. Jeffrey shows up at a hotel in Buenos Aires, checks in a wonderful dance comes into the, into the lobby. Looks great. Uh, they go back to Philadelphia. The, the movie cuts back to Philly. Cooper's remembers a dream that he has. Uh, yeah, I got which,
0: no idea what, what
2: Cooper is trying to do. I don't know what he's trying to do, but something <laughs> happens during what, whatever Cooper is trying to do. Jeffrey, Jeffries comes out of the elevator and, again, stark raving. There's lights flashing. The goes dead. Tell me some good I news. Cannot,
0: I cannot stress enough that this is David Bowie.
2: Yes. Fame.
0: It, it, you cannot forget that in this moment. There's yeah. no way, no matter how Southern his accent gets, it's still
2: David Bowie. It's still David like David Bowie dressed as David Bowie. Not yeah. David Bowie dressed as, as an FBI agent. This no. is full-on David Bowie. Yeah. Um and so Jeffries disappears and then reappears in Buenos Aires screaming with the wall singed behind him as if like shaped like a door, shaped like a portal, I'm just saying. And uh the the bellhop literally scared shitless. Like <laughs> literally <laughs>
0: Oh, uh, Mr. Jeffries! Oh, the shit! It come out of my ass.
1: What? Oh, Mr. Jeffries! Oh, the shit that come out of my ass.
2: <laughs> it's so good. Oh, that's seems- uh, so. That to me hints at a larger Twin Peaks universe. That there, that whatever forces are at play. Are well beyond the woods of Twin Peaks. And even just that small scene that to me says, like, this is larger than we've seen up until now.
0: Yeah. Uh, one other thing, a couple other things. Um, mm-hmm. We've got these references to Judy. He says, hey, is Judy here? And uh, the concierge says, uh, oh, the, the lady left you a message. Now, is that Judy? Did you leave a message? And the next thing we know, Jeffries is there. Uh, Define the laws of time and space, not just by being there instantly, but also uh, by being on video with Dale at the same time Dale is in the other room. Yes. Um, and then uh, he doesn't seem to know what year it is. He's baffled by what what the date is. True. I I here's what I suspect happened is that Jeffries went into the Black Lodge. Okay. Um, and he he was Dale before Dale, mm. right? And he has returned from the Black Lodge years later, foreshadowing that someday perhaps Dale Cooper will be able to return from the Black Lodge. But uh, a little spoiler alert here: Jeffries is not the same Jeffries that went in. Mm. Uh, so so Coop may be affected by his time in the Black Lodge as well. Mm. Just just to put that out there. Um, yeah, that this is a little bit of foreshadowing of what. I, I think we're meant to be thinking about, okay, now what's going to happen with Coop then? Yeah. Because he, he tells us a story about the Black Lodge, and we're, we cut to, to these shots of the Black Lodge. The kid who's the magician with the Garmin Bosia and lots of people in terrifying makeup and close-ups of mouths.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. <laughs> real, real deep close-ups. We're, real going, deep. we're going into the mouths of people.
0: It's, it was more uvula than I had, had anticipated watching.
2: That, that should go on the uh, the Blu Ray cover of Firewalk <laughs> with me. <laughs> Jason Helms says more love than I was ever expected. Yeah, two thumbs up. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, and and to that end, we do get to see a little more, basically, like picking up from where the finale of the show leaves off. There is almost kind of like a little bonus couple of minutes uh, afterward, we see Amy is alive, not doing great, but alive. Cooper is trapped. Like he, he seems good and fully trapped in the black lodge uh, with no real recourse or plan as to how to get out. Yep. What is interesting for me about Amy uh, any first appears, I think in this movie, again, this might be a fan edit scene or a missing pieces scene, but any appears in Laura's dream.
0: I can't remember if that, I feel like that one might actually be in the, mo- okay. the original, but the, the scene of her in the hospital, uh, first being taken into the, in, uh, into the ER and yeah. second of her in the hospital bed. Those are not there. And again, those are essential for understanding Twin Peaks The Return. Um, a lot of the scenes that, that are in there are really important.
2: Yeah. And and for me, really key in just illuminating the, the pliability of time in Twin Peaks and, and how it's messing with time. Because where... Basically, like, Andy says something... Or Amy appears, oh you know, days before Laura Palmer is murdered and says, you know, the good dale is trapped in the Black Lodge, uh, the bad dale, like she has this phrase. And then months later, she says the exact thing, the exact same thing to the nurse. And so this like does any time travel? Is this some strange like simultaneity of occurrence? Is the same thing happening to Jeffries? Like a future and Mm. past version of Jeffries appearing at the same time? What I mean, like, just to be a conspiracy theorist, the Buenos Aires scene does not have a date attached to it. Right. Because we are cutting concurrently, we think, and we assume, oh, two events being cut together, that is happening at the same time. However, if you've watched Westworld, you would be well aware that that is not always the case. Where just because two things are being cut or occurring at the same speed, or like saying like, okay, A then B then A then B, doesn't mean A and B are happening in the same time.
0: Yeah, Yul Brenner can be both a robot and the King of Siam. Totally. I mean, that's, is that uh, right, right movie, right?
2: And Ramses And the Pharaoh. Yes. 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 Sorry, that was a bit of a rant, but all that to say, time seems very elastic right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm totally with you. I was actually just pulling up a uh, wiki on Philip Jeffries to see if there's any indication of when he's in Buenos Aires. And according to the wiki, It is is February 16th, 1989. Now that may be taken (sighs) from the FBI scenes, and they may be assuming that. I'm not certain. Okay. Um, Yeah, good question, though. All right, so I think we've covered most of the film. Let's talk about where we're left, because this is the the epilogue to the movie is part of the missing pieces, which Mm -hmm. is where we we cut to Dale. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say uh, bad Dale. Yeah. In his hotel room, bashing his head against the window, saying, where's Annie? Mm -hmm. And that's the way that Twin Peaks ended, the uh, original airing of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But now we get more. We get the end of that scene. Yeah. Uh, So, Bad Dale, uh, Evil Coop, lies down on the ground, uh, very unnervingly, too, uh, in the care in which he lays down. Yeah. And uh, Hawk and uh, Sheriff uh, Truman come in on him and, and help him out. Anything else from that scene to add?
2: He hasn't brushed his teeth yet.
0: <laughs> yes, he's very disappointed about that. He yeah. needs to brush his teeth. Uh, you understand, don't you? <laughs> Isn't that what the- he looks at Sh- Sheriff Truman and says deeply? Uh, you know, <laughs> you, you understand. You understand. Uh, yeah. No. No problem. Oh, don't I don't. No, I, don't. I don't. That is, uh, that, I'm in no danger of understanding.
2: Yeah. Call call in Chet Baker again and get him <laughs> to understand Chuck this Baker, thing for
0: yeah. me. Um. Yeah, yeah, that's, no, that's the thing. He says, uh, I struck my head against the mirror.
1: Yeah.
0: And it struck me as funny. You, yeah. you understand, right? It struck me as funny. Ah! Uh, and the amazing <laughs> thing is, um, you can tell, this is, again, I don't think I'm spoiling anything. You can tell from Twin Peaks The Return, the cover art, that Bad Coop is going to be in the new one. Mm. evil coop is in the, the new season and yeah. that Tom mclaughlin will be playing at least two roles mm-hmm. and what's amazing to me is just the set of his jaw when he's bad coop the way mm. that his facial expressions change that all of that was was already set in that epilogue 25 years ago he he has completely just all of that performance was already residing in his face right then yeah. because that character came back to me completely. I was like, Oh wow. It's that's evil Coop from the new season. Yeah. That's, uh, huh. that's him. Uh, and it, it's, it's a subtle performance and you'll pick up on it as you watch the new season. But yeah. uh, to see how much of it, he'd already thought through and how much he remembered 25 years later of how to get back into that role. is just phenomenal.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even not to, not to slam Chris Isaac, but <laughs> Kyle, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I wasn't thrilled with Chris Isaacs' performance. Sure, but also to to demonstrate that uh, Twin Peaks material is is difficult, uh, and that that space is a difficult one to find, mm-hmm. and the way in which an actor like McLaughlin like the entire series cast can find that space and in having it like that is a skill that is not yeah. accidental uh this is very difficult material to do well and to communicate you know like to communicate that stuff well and so the fact that uh that he can modulate that performance to that degree is uh is testament to his ability yeah it's really impressive yeah
0: Alright, so now we're getting set to watch The Return. I think I can transition us out of Firewalk with me. or We've done as much as we need to do there. Yep. Uh, I'd love to hear some thoughts from you. This is, again, Dom's prediction time. I haven't prepared you for it at all. Nope. But, you know, what are you expecting to see? Uh, Is there anything where you say, hey, if they don't do this, uh, I'm going to be disappointed. Uh, What actors do you think are going to be back? Uh, Mm. Some have died. Uh, Multiple actors from Twin Peaks died uh, either during production of Twin Peaks, uh, the return or um, while it was on air just before it went to air. Okay. Um, and so that, that was kind of a, a weird thing. Uh, some of whom perhaps were on it. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's tough in terms of time to say like, well, M- Miguel Ferreira, you know, he's, he's dead, but did he die before they made twin? 20- oh, where, where's he going to line up in this? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I would just say, don't, don't worry about the, the death timelines because, uh, Okay. A lot of them just did die. And at least one of the people who died was in it.
2: Yeah. Um, I would expect the, I would expect the universe of twin peaks to, to expand in some way. Um, like the Argentina tease or this, like that Argentina tease for me kind of evokes the like season two finale of lost where at the end of season two, you had this hard cut to an Arctic ice base Mm-hmm. And then there's a call like Miss Widmore, we found the Island. And all of a sudden you just felt the universe exponentially grow. Mm-hmm. And in that yeah. moment of seeing Bowie in a hotel in Argentina, I felt the universe grow. And I would be, I'd be remiss, honestly, if it just like went back to, nope, just when peaks. Yeah. Nothing else. Um, I'm trying not to put an expectation on what characters I'd, expect to see return because i'm not too big of a fan of like let's roll out your favorites and like just having them on a conveyor belt i expect some new characters Mm -hmm. i expect characters that uh that we've not met before uh to play an important role i still expect cooper to be this the i guess the hub of the wheel because Only because now, for me, Laura Palmer's story truly seems good and finished. Um, Well, again, then I don't know because Laura is also, Laura ends the movie in the Black Lodge with Dale Cooper, the good Coop, what it looks like. I mean, maybe, maybe ends the movie with a Cooper in there, and there's an angel. Uh, there are people in a room. Damn it!
0: <laughs> I, I wish that everybody could see how hard I'm shrugging throughout yeah, all this. you, like, are, I you know, are maximum maybe.
2: shrug right now. You are maybe, max I, shrug. Those are
0: theories. You're, you're not wrong. Hey, I will tell you one thing. Mm. Uh, Naomi Watts, 100% in Twin Peaks The Return, and I'm so excited for you to to meet her character. Okay. All right. So that's the only, the only spoiling I think I'll do for it is, uh, we're talking about meeting new characters. Naomi Watts. She is,
2: she is a new character.
0: She is. I love her in Mahan drive and Mm -hmm. this is a different character. Okay. But man, I just, whenever Lynch directs her, I just, I love Naomi Watts. She is really, really good. Uh, and brings a lot. So, um, yeah. Anything else you want to say about what might happen? Or should I stop? Stop trying to force you.
2: I I would say I, I'm all I'm I'm tapped out, man. Because cool, like it, again, it's it's not like they did Firewalk with me and then jumped right into it. They there's 25 years between Firewalk with me, which was a prequel, a little bit of a sequel, a little bit of a like screw you, whatever thing, and then Twin Peaks: The Return, not even Twin Peaks season three. Twin Peaks, The Return. The Return. The Return. Um, like I have no idea what the first scene is. I, like You could give me a month, and I come up with a hundred different opening scenes, and they're all not going to be the opening scene. I, I will tell you this.
0: When you hear the theme come on, when you see the new opening. Yeah. Because it, it does have a new opening. Mm. Um, for me, I, when The Return came out, Every single episode, I never fast-forwarded the opening credits because it just put me in Twin Peaks mode. And it's yeah. it the same theme. I mean, I'm sure that Ben could listen to them side by side and tell us we're wrong and that there's some subtle distinction. To me, it was just like, ah, Twin Peaks, I'm back. Yep. It's pretty spectacular. So I, I will tell you, I don't know that there's a cold open or anything, but I just remember that as soon as that theme plays, I, I'm just hoping you have that same feeling of nostalgia and of being home again. And uh, uh, it's all, it's all going to be okay.
2: Yeah, It is. It is. It's, it's,
0: it's Twin Peaks. All right. Um, yeah. So we're not sure the pace that we will work at. Uh, new season has 18 episodes. Mm-hmm. The release was interesting. They, Showtime released the first four episodes on the same day. Huh. For, uh on demand. Then slowly released the others. Uh, and we can talk once we watch them about why they might have done that. Uh, what the strategy is behind that. And we re- release the others on a weekly basis. Um, okay. But... We're not sure if we'll do, uh, we'll we'll most likely do one episode of our show, per episode of Twin Peaks The Return, uh, and we'll probably have shorter episodes based on that. Um, And so look for more episodes of What Exactly Am I Watching Here than you usually get and expect them to be a little bit shorter, but uh, that'll enable us to zoom in a little bit more uh, than we have in the past, uh, because I really do think that The Return merits it. Cool.
2: Sounds great, man. Ready for it.
0: All right. Twin Peaks remained dormant for close to 25 years. In 2017, it returned. We're going to wait about 25 days. Uh, Does that sound good? 25 Um, days, okay. 25 days. We'll see if Ben can work out the scheduling. Uh, If not, maybe we'll be back next week. But thanks again for joining us on What Exactly Am I Watching Here? For next time, we're going to be working through uh, Season 3, Twin Peaks The Return. Uh, You can get a hold of us on Twitter, where our handle is at OverthinkPod. And find more at overthinkpod.com. Uh, and I might as well let you know I, I'm on Twitter
2: as at Helm Street. Uh, so, Dom, where can people get a hold of you? Uh, I'm on Twitter as well at uh, Dominic Lang, and also a blog, dominiclang.com. For now, may the Chrome reflect your image.
1: We lived among the people. You <laughs> say convenience store. Lived above it. Yeah. I mean it like it is, like it sounds. I too have been touched by the devilish one. Tattoo on the left shoulder. Oh. But when I saw the face of God, I was changed. I took the entire arm off. My name is Mike. His name is Bob. Mike. Mike. Can you hear me? Catch you.